Hi folks, welcome to our Jet Centra podcast. I'm sports editor Steve Lyons and I'm here as usual with uh, sports columnist Mike McIntyre. Episode 21, Mike, Blackjack. Uh, <laughs> I'm back to work here this week. I'm sitting in my office here at 1365 Mountain Avenue. Um, you are not on your driveway as normal. Um, you're advising me that you're in a borrowed pickup truck pulled over to the side of the road on the way to the dump. Is this correct? Yeah, pulling a uh, pulling a giant trailer. Uh, I'm I'm on holidays today, just so listeners don't think this is somehow part of my everyday uh, job description at the Free Press as a columnist. Although some days, you know, it does feel like you're just kind of taking out the trash uh, in a way. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm off this week and. Um, of course, can't actually go anywhere. So that means that means actually doing work. Uh, a state cleaning the yeah, spring cleaning for sure. Uh, I've already made one trip to the dump today. I'm making a second. And as often is the case, you get a big trailer like this, and you get family members, and you're doing favors now for a few different people here, hauling <laughs> stuff away. So yeah, I'm kind of uh, I'm the garbage man today. That's funny you mentioned that. I was going to say, hey, Mike, uh, what are you doing later this afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah. Lots of favorites get called in for sure. But I don't know, there's something kind of therapeutic about hauling away a bunch of garbage. Our yard has never looked better. Uh, it feels like, yeah, it's just, I, I see why people get into the whole spring cleaning thing. It actually, it feels really good. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea behind purging and getting rid of stuff or whatever is to lighten the load, lighten the way that you feel, maybe. Um, yeah, for sure, it's therapeutic. Cleaning house is a, is a good thing, yeah, definitely. Whether, whether that's physically or emotionally or whatever you might, whatever way you might be doing it. Um, anyways, um, it's the first period of our uh, podcast here, Mike, and, uh, uh, you know, news this week, of course, uh, and, and our constant dialogue on on return to play, um, the NHL this week came out with a a detailed plan of how they would return to play. They didn't really say when. They gave some um, a broad timeline, you know, of when they hope to uh, get this return to play going. And then uh, Gary Bettman made a. Um, a live-streamed uh, announcement on uh, Tuesday, uh, afternoon Tuesday, um, explaining how this was all going to work. And then uh, Wednesday afternoon, yesterday, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, um, Kevin Sheveldale was made available to the media and Andrew Kopp was made available to the media. Um, you know, lots of lots of really interesting details to the plan, Mike. Um, um, but both you and I both agree on the one thing that we're both most impressed about, really, is the fact that the league has a plan yeah. and has presented it. And um, it looks like the players and the owners and the management have worked together in harmony to get this done. And, and so kudos to them. Well, and, and that's a lot more than some other sports leagues can certainly say, Steve. I mean, look at what's happening uh, and we might talk a little more later in the podcast about Major League Baseball, but it's a mess right now with player 
privately, uh, and they can't seem to agree on whether the sky is blue, let alone anything. Whereas the NHL, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's coming across almost as the picture of, of harmony, um, which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is a league that's had two lockouts uh, this century already. And there was certainly thought, could we be headed towards another one uh, in a couple years when the CBA expires? Uh, but over the last year or so, Steve, I mean, reports had come out that relations between the, the league and the players was better than ever. And I think we're seeing maybe the fruits of some of that labor now here when it comes to a return-to-play scenario. Uh, you noted, Steve, when we talked the other day, that Gary Bettman went out of his way to name the, the hockey players that were on the return-to-play committee, which included Mark Shifley of the Winnipeg Jets. And the players certainly had a strong voice as we talked to Andrew Kopp on Wednesday. Uh, I asked him specifically about if he felt that the player's voice was being heard, and he said, yes, yeah, loud and clear, and that there is sort of an inclusion to this that they appreciate, as it should be. So I think that's part of why the NHL now has kind of jumped ahead of other leagues, including the NBA, which they haven't even announced their return-to-play plan yet. Uh, and who would have thunk that, eh? Like, the NHL so often... They- they seem to be the, like the followers, and in a way, they're kind of the leaders right now. Yeah, I like uh, consensus uh, is uh, something that uh, personally took me a long time to learn. Um, you know, I always want to just tell people what to do, um, as opposed to you know including them in the decision making. And um, I think I do a better job of that in my life today. Um, I'll ask my staff members that maybe sometime, but. I think that I think that um, what they did right off the hop here was is that is that's what they did is that they the league included everybody you know and and when everybody has a voice and and feels like they're being heard um, in anything not sports I think that people are going to be more cooperative they're going to they're going to participate in a solution as opposed to being you know digging their heels in. And which then creates a problem, right? And I was sure. um, I yeah, I've been, I'm still, you know, on the fence as to whether this is going to happen. Or not. Um, I think that I think that they're going to try for sure, right? And I'm certainly curious to see what it's all going to look like. I mean, it's it's a fascinating story, you know, like from a journalist point of view. Um, but I, I have, I gotta, you know, I gotta say that when I was watching Batman on that live stream on Tuesday, I was, I was impressed. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I think if, if this doesn't happen, Steve, first of all, it's not going to be for a lack of trying, and it's not going to be because the owners and the players were butting heads to the point that nobody could agree on a solution. If it doesn't happen, it's going to be related to COVID. And nothing else. It's going to be because government and health officials ultimately couldn't find a way to green light all this. But and so, I mean, that's encouraging, right? That they've worked out a a plan that will be phased in very slowly. It's basically a three a three phase plan. Um, we're already in phase one, so it's phase two, three, and four. Phase two is kind of going to start imminently, which is the ability for players to start skating in very small groups, and Steve, I know you had a look at the 22-page document that outlines everything that will be involved just in getting six or less skaters at a facility to 
tournament, and they're looking now at the end of July, beginning of August, and that would likely run a couple of months, taking you kind of right through September. So uh, the template is in place. Obviously, there are many factors outside their control, which will ultimately determine the success or failure. But uh, kudos to the players and the owners and the managers and everybody for kind of getting on the same page here. of our Jet Center podcast, folks. Um, Mike, we chatted a lot about uh, the NHL's return to play uh, in the first period, and uh, we did touch a little bit on uh, Major League Baseball's struggle to get going. Uh, lots of fighting, infighting there. Um, uh, Max Scherzer tweeted last night uh, that, um, you know, that there's not going to be any more dialogue. I did just read an interesting story. Scott Boris, Yes, I read it. I read it as well. Yeah, did you just read that? The super agent. I did. Uh, it, it gave me a little different perspective on. Uh, uh, to this point, my perception has been greedy baseball players, um, and um, like, oh my God, like, excuse me, Mike Trout, that you're only going to make eight million dollars this year instead of thirty-six million dollars this year. Um, Boris explains a little bit about how. You know the the owners in baseball have used record profits over the last several years to um, finance development around parks and to renovate their parks. Parks and, and so the value of their franchises has gone up a lot. So you know he wants that money to be taken into account and then and, and, and saying that players should be paid what their contracts were. So. I think that there's more to baseball yeah. than, than just, you know, like in the hockey situation, one thing that I was surprised to learn that I maybe didn't know and maybe should have known is that the reality is that the players are not going to be paid at all to play these playoffs. No. They've earned their salaries. And secondly, the NHL has already earned all of its money from its broadcasters. And so there will be lots there's going to be lost revenue anyways because there's nobody in the seats, but it's a little different situation financially, baseball and hockey, because it's at the start of the baseball season as opposed to the end of the hockey season. Right. This, this almost, um, I, I suppose what's happening in baseball could set the trend for, let's just say that starting next season, the NHL can't have fans, and that's a possibility, right? That, uh, big that, possibility. Yeah, so you wonder if this is a harbinger of, of things to come even in the NHL because you're right. I mean, the NHL, their season was mostly complete, and in terms of like salaries, that, that issue was kind of put to rest. So they don't really have to worry about that aspect of it, whereas baseball, having not even thrown out a single pitch yet in this season, they're now talking about an 80-game season instead of 162 Obviously, no fans, so there's a huge revenue hit. I find it interesting, Steve. I mean, I don't mind the salary proposal that's being talked about where the highest-paid players would be the ones that take the biggest hit. I don't know if you saw the detailed sort of breakdown, but I'm just looking here. Like a a major league player who makes a million dollars, which is almost minimum nowadays in MLB, they would... Uh, make 434000 So that's about a 55% pay cut. A player making $20 million, and there's a lot of those, he would 
very happy with it. And as you say, then there's these other issues about the fact that owners have been filling their pockets, it would seem. Baseball, I mean, it may not be as popular as it once was television-wise, but it seems like baseball owners are still making a pretty good living. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing. In the story, Boris talks about Wrigley Field and how the Ricketts family had used a lot of profits to develop all this land around Wrigley Field and to renovate Wrigley Field, and which all, you know, appreciates your your property and the value of your franchise, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, you know, that money is what they think should be taken into account when you're deciding to give your employees, which these baseball players are, take cuts. And so, um, right. I, I, I was just, it was interesting to see the other side of it. Um, and so I, I, I tend to maybe appreciate that a little bit. Uh, baseball, yeah. or baseball owners are filthy rich. There's just no about that. Um, these guys uh, are not uh, not standing in, in line for food anywhere, right? Do you know what I mean? So um, we'll see how it plays out. But I like what you I like what you're saying is that this could be a harbinger of. of a, sometimes I just love that word. Don't you just guys? Yeah, harbinger harbinger is a great word for sure. Um, That's just about baseball, Steve. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, I know you are. I am. Yep. I love yep. baseball. Yep. Uh, I'd be very worried about the possibility for any kind of season. We're almost in, we're almost June first. And they don't even have any agreement of any sort. They can't even agree like make baseball players apparently they want a hundred plus games. They can't even agree on what kind of season they play. And they're talking about starting in a, in like a month from now and that's with games. Plus they'd have to have a spring training. Like time is of the essence here. And unless they're going to play into December, which in a lot of these ballparks, I don't know, I mean, unless you're in a hub city, I guess, maybe you could do that. But I just think, like, there's got to be some urgency here if baseball's going to have any kind of a season. And it just seems to me like owners and players are kind of playing a big game of chicken right now. And at the end of the day, everybody might lose out. Because I, yeah, I think that they'll probably would. I think that baseball is leaning towards hub cities as well, aren't they? Like in yeah, like Arizona or, or Texas. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of the hub cities, just go back to the NHL. Um, I found it a little interesting uh, uh, about the ten cities that, yeah. that Bitman. Yeah, let's call it Bitman. Uh, Gary Bitman um, listed as hub city candidates. Uh, notably, there was three Canadian candidates: Edmonton. Vancouver, Toronto, right? Right. And, uh, but there is a a block here, and the NHL can't really come to Canada for that type of thing. They say unless the feds waive the current 14-day isolation policy, and um, I guess the Alberta Premier is asking Canada to do that so that Edmonton could maybe be a hub city. Like Mike, what? Uh, I'm I'm not sure that I feel comfortable with making special exemptions for professional athletes. Um, you know, it, it, it's, why athletes? Why not other right. athletes? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I get that we want to have, I get that the Edmonton Premier wants Edmonton, or the Alberta Premier wants Edmonton to be one of the hub cities, but it just seems to me that there's probably a lot of other businesses and maybe equally important or even more important businesses where people... Yeah. Want to I will say, 
I, I will say there have been, there already are companies, right? My understanding is truckers, they're exempt, like when the, they're obviously, you know, bringing pivotal workers. Work. So, I mean, so exactly. Jam-packed, literally jam-packed. Mm. So 
Um, I don't know. Um, I, I, I had mixed feelings. I mean, I, I, I had mixed feelings about uh, about this. I mean, there's very little COVID right now in Manitoba. And right. at this point in time, there's some belief that we're all going to need to get exposed to it anyway. But um, it's the flaunting of social distancing guidelines that are still being recommended that uh, is unsettling to me, to say the least. Um, you know, and then uh, as well, yesterday, I stopped at a grocery store, Andrews on Academy, and there's these lines on the floor where you're supposed to stand as you're waiting to go to the cashier. And I'm not sure why people need to stand in front of the line instead of the behind the line. <laughs> Is yeah. that little eight inches getting you closer? Like, seriously, folks, <laughs> eight bloody inches, you can't adhere to a simple line on the floor. We're like months into this pandemic, and you still got to say that you got to give people a glare, or should I even bother? <laughs> it was an interesting yeah, in the pandemic protocols last night. You know what? There's an old saying, you know, give give them an inch, they'll take a foot, or maybe I butchered the saying, but but yeah. it, it does seem to apply to human nature, right? Like we're almost not we collectively. That is, we're almost built sometimes to try and just how far we can we can maybe push things and you're right well, I mean that was, by, yeah by and large I don't think seen the uh, we haven't seen locally what we've seen in other markets for sure that's the concern though with the next phase beginning here next Monday, Monday. Uh, you know and, and there's a lot of, of restrictions being loosened as of next Monday uh, I'm very curious to see I mean from a sports perspective, Steve, things like like beer league slow pitch is going to be allowed to start. Um, it's interesting. I know somebody who's involved in uh, in one of the slow pitch leagues, and I saw it. He listed some of the rules that they're going to have to follow. They're going to have they're going to have uh, a box of like sanitizing wipes on the pitching mound so that the pitcher can kind of wipe down between pitches. And I even saw he included, this made me laugh a bit, if the, if the batted ball hits the sanitizing wipe container, the ball is still considered in play. If there's a rule, whoever thought you'd need a rule like that in, uh, in sports. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, look, I look forward to the ricochet balls off the sanitizing container. Uh, and, and I'm curious to see how people will adhere to these. I think sure. that we, you know, you're right. We haven't seen a lot of these mass gatherings like we've seen in some of the photos. But the weather has been so kind of lousy. Yes. Of which today, what is it? Is it minus seven today? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's snowing out right now. Uh, yeah, not quite, but it feels like it. I mean, not uh, the works tonight. No, but but so Saturday, I, yeah, I can give you my perspective. I, I played at Larder's Golf Course two days ago. Uh, again, folks, I'm on holidays. I'm not just sloughing off from work. And in fact, I wrote a column that day, uh, uh, not from the golf course, but after the round. But So that was my second round of golf that I played this month. And I was I, I played on the very first day, of course, when, <clears throat> when everybody, you know, kind of got let loose and wrote about it. And, and I... What I saw was that people were being very careful. I was curious to see now, three weeks later, had anything changed? 
And I will say, uh, from the court itself, and and we had a marshal on the court, so I played with seven family members. My son uh, was part of my foursome, and since we live in the same house, we actually took the same, we were allowed in the same cart, but a few holes into our round seat, a marshal came over and asked why the two of us were in a cart together, and we just said, well, we're father and son, we live in the same house. Oh, okay, that's fine. But good on them for checking. Um, and, you know, even in the clubhouse when we went to pay, or like in the pro shop when we went to pay, there's the markers on the ground. So, uh, and I just, from what I observed, other golfers on the driving range, everybody was keeping a good distance. Uh, I, I saw some encouraging things anyways that made me think, okay, maybe humanity isn't completely doomed. Well, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I spent a fair bit of time at golf courses in my life and um, and belonged to a country club, an aqua country club, for yep. a years. And um, I'll tell you what, um, golf um, etiquette, and, and, and the word etiquette is used in golf a lot, um, even, even on the most uh, muni tracks of golf. Let's let's use Kildonan for an example, and and, I, and not in a derogatory way at all, because I love municipal golf courses and I love the people on municipal golf courses. But even even the the, the guys with the baseball caps on, yeah, muscle shirts, tank um, top, yeah, tank tops, yeah, playing on a Sunday afternoon at Kildonan, um, even even post pre-pandemic, um, has matters to a certain sure. degree. You know what I mean? And yeah, so, there's, a sense, uh, there's a sense of decorum, for sure, that, that's just being yeah, trained yeah. in that sport itself. Yeah, there is in, in, in golf. And so uh, I think that uh, I learned a lot about etiquette in life and just matters in general, um, playing golf and belonging to a club, for sure, Um just even the idea of saying good morning to somebody that I don't know, I learned at a golf course, frankly. Uh, I'm not sure why I needed to learn it there, but I did. Um, and so um, I think that maybe everybody needs to go play a round of golf. Uh, I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what I learned the other day playing golf, Steve. Uh, don't, don't hit it into the trees on the second hole at Larder's. Uh, because if you do, you'll make an 11 uh, like I did. I'm pretty sure I hit every single tree on that hole, at least once. I think I hit some of them twice. Uh, <clears throat> I got into the woods on my drive, and I couldn't see the forest for the trees. My son was laughing at me because all he could hear was the sound of me sing, swinging, followed by a whack, 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 as the ball went off about eight trees. And I got deeper and deeper in the woods. that finally was able to punch out, I think on my sixth or seventh, Shot, put it on the green, two putted for an eleven, uh, and that was that spoiled an otherwise pretty solid round. I didn't have worse than a six on any other hole, lots of fours and fives, uh, but one one bad hole, and I guess that's why golf can be so frustrating and also maybe keep you coming back, right? The idea that next time I can do better. Yeah, yeah, you know I don't uh, typically. I, I, you told me about that poll uh, in an email, Everett. Generally, um, when I played, if you hit it laterally like that into the woods, um, 
people, I don't know. <laughs> Most people just play it where it enters. They kind of play it as a lateral hazard, and then if you hit it in there off, off the tee, you would then be hitting your next shot as four right. uh, beside the trees. Um, mostly, most people do that to keep pace of play going because I don't want to be the guy behind you, Mike, waiting for you to yeah. try to get up trees like that. Plus, it's it just, yeah, you're never going to get out of it. You're never going to get out of but... No. Well, I think in the case of us, it was the group behind me with four other family members, so I wasn't oh. too worried about them. Uh, but you're right, Steve. Uh, in hindsight, I should have taken my most valuable club out. That would be the foot wedge. Yeah. The old foot wedge, and just kicked my ball back into the fairway. That would have been the smart play. Okay, folks, we're back for the overtime period of our Jeff Center podcast on Sports Editor Steve Lyons. I'm here with sports columnist Mike McIntyre. Um, Mike's on vacation, and he's said a few times now during the podcast that he's not slacking. Just so you know, folks, Mike is on a week of holidays. He worked Tuesday. I uh, wrote a column after Gary Bettman's announcement. He wrote a column yesterday uh, doing a press conference thing with uh, Kevin Chevaldeoff. And today is Thursday, and he's doing this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Like, well, holy garbage. Yeah, it's okay. We, 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 it's all good. Speaking of, <laughs> so what else are you doing on your, listen, by the way, I had last week off. A lot of people yeah. asked how my vacation at home was. We talked a little bit about it on the podcast. I got to tell you, I travel all the time. I've been very blessed to be able to travel a lot. I do some travel stories for the free press and, and I've gone on lots of different travel junkets and, and generally almost always travel on my vacation. Um, I really enjoyed the week off staying at home. Um, you know, I did some gardening, planted a vegetable garden. And, you know, travel can sometimes be exhausting in itself. Right. And yeah, how many times you hear people say, I need a vacation after that vacation? Yeah, depending on what you do, and I tend to be a pretty active traveler. I don't tend to sit around when I travel, and so, right. Uh, yeah, it was nice. It was nice and relaxing. I hope you're getting a little time to relax. Yeah, well, uh, this will go down as uh, one of the stranger places that I've, I've participated in a conference call with Kevin Shovelayoff, because I was actually poolside yesterday afternoon. My aunt and uncle, who have a beautiful backyard swimming pool, just opened it up on Monday. And so I got, uh, took a couple of days for it to heat up, and uh, we went for a little dip yesterday afternoon, and I got out of the pool just in time to get on the Kevin Shovel Day Off conference call. Uh, so that was, uh, that was nice. I got a little too much sun, though. It was a beautiful day yesterday, a nice breeze, nice warm breeze. Uh, so I look, I look a little bit like tomato right now, Steve, unfortunately. I, I didn't use the sunscreen, um, guilty as charged. And I also got my hair cut. Uh, now, you, you know, I tend to have longish, curly hair, and I've, I've had long hair since I was, like, a little kid. My hair, I know you haven't seen me in person for a while because of social distancing. My hair right now is the shortest it's been probably since I was five years old. Wow. Um, like, I didn't, I didn't fully shave my head, but it's not that far on the sides and at the back. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, I feel like I have about five 
day like yesterday, Steve, and with I'm 45, a bit of a receding hairline, uh, you realize maybe where the hair used to cover that it doesn't anymore uh, when you get a lot of sun, right? So I, I, um, the head's a little sore today. Well, but for the rest of your uh, week off, which is the rest of today and tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday, and we'll have you back to uh, work on the Monday. Uh, that's it for our podcast today. Uh, please stay safe. Uh, there's still some guidelines out there. And uh, we'll uh, chat again with you all next Wednesday. You betcha. Take care, folks.